Hey, everybody, this is Richard from the Emergency Power Network. Many episodes have been recorded and released in the months since Vin Harkian and the Interstellar Defense Force debuted in our story, and obviously our world has changed during that time. When we originally recorded these episodes, the acronym IDF was not making headlines the way it is now. Our audience comes here, at least in part, to escape from their universe and enjoy a story about another one. So we want to squarely keep the fiction in science fiction at the forefront of our production. Accordingly, listeners can expect the name and acronym for this organization to be changed in upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in Season 4. As the Sky Dark Vigilance begins its descent towards Castravel, you pull through the upper atmosphere and see that you are heading towards a fairly large landmass near the ocean. The closer you get, the more so you begin to realize that this ship seems to be heading very directly towards the very Cosmonastery you had all spoken of before. No, no, I was not. No. Um, ex- excuse me? Where, where are we going? The lieutenant flicks their calm up, looks back at you and says, The Cosmonastery, straight ahead. Yep, the... Mm. Perfect timing. She did this. Let's kill two birds with one stone. Excellent. I'm not ready. Agreed. Commander Harkian has clearly anticipated our needs and arranged events to help us save time. She's doing this to punish me. My Ronnie, my Ronnie. My Ronnie, you're the only one I trust with this very important question. I need you to tell me honestly. Does silver make me look old? Because if it's mistaken as gray, I can find... I I cannot... Ironi looks over you real quick. You can tell they're trying to keep a very stony face. No, you look good. You look good. Are you lying to me? Very dignified. Dignified is the... (laughs) (laughs) Your physical parameters would appear to be in line with that of a typical middle-aged tiefling. I I don't know what goes flying at 5e's head, but something is thrown at 5e's head. So the lieutenant, who, as they turn on their uniform, it says Rami Alpha 5. They look back and say, stop throwing things in the ship. We're going to land soon. Everyone strap in. Can I just jump out now? Oh, that sounds like fun. Do we have parachutes? I don't need one at this point. They reach up and they hit the lock button on all the doors. Orders are to bring you in. I mean, I have the jetpack, but you know. Oh, she is diabolical. So the ship swings down towards what looks like a decently old building. It's situated at a spot near this cliff face where on one side there are raging seas that are smashing up against the cliffs, while on the other there appears to be a wild jungle, and it is placed directly between the two. The ship swings down and lands on an open section clearly meant for ships. And the lieutenant looks back once more and says, The vice admiral told me that some of you have business here. The dovetail recruits are inside. I'm sure you can make your own way, but my orders are bring the sparkly Solarian to me. So, and they look at Sol, follow me. Does this mean you're going to handcuff me? (laughs) They just look at you. Their face does not change one inch, only if you resist. Sol's like, I brought my own. Hmm. I do think Vin would enjoy it, but also might. Mm, yes, yes, I'm going to cause a scene. I'm going to resist. She did this to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cue handcuff sound effects. Lieutenant 
shakes their head as they mildly, violently begin to move you off the ship as the other two of you have free reign to go into the Cosmonastery of the Calm Wilds. As all of you move towards this place, it has the strange feeling of what you might have read about in ancient times. It's not quite a castle, but it seems to have walls of stone, and it has a very peaceful element to it, despite the surrounding chaos, which, to all of your knowledge, is fairly on brand for Solarians. So as you begin to go into the main entrance, the lieutenant drags Sol down one direction as Whisker, Myrani, and 5e stand there trying to decide what they're going to do next. I suppose we should wait to be greeted and invited inside. Do they do that here? Maybe there's a check-in inside. I am not aware of the protocols. I see we go in. Very well. Lead the way. You head in and begin walking down the numerous halls that are here, wandering almost aimlessly. You pass a courtyard where there are several people in a large circle. It seems they're meditating, but they're the first people you have come across. So you can decide if you wish to disturb them or look elsewhere. Whisker is looking for two very specific Solarians, while also looking for any sign of where, like, the dovetails might be waiting. As you're walking, the two siblings that are with you are just kind of in awe. They're used to seeing large cities, but nothing like this. It's quite grand. I, I guess I can see some influence in Seoul, but also it's different. Do you think they're all sleeping? As they look out at the crowd. I mean, there's not much else to do here. I think I would fall asleep from boredom too. Feather giggles a little bit, but tries to suppress it. Why don't you two go ahead and give me a culture check? Whisker got a 15. In our 5e gets a 28. Whisker, this place has a ancient magical air about it. Whisker, as you mentioned, there are a lot of details that remind you of soul, but it also is much more constrained. And you can see so quickly why they abandoned this place, because there is clearly no way the two could ever mesh. 5e, as you look at this group more closely, you can see that there are actually small differences between them. And one sticks out to you in particular. They're a much older Kasothan. They have an elongated forehead with extra arms. All of them are crossed in front of their body. And you're not 100% sure, but you get the impression that they've noticed the presence of these visitors. 5e will quietly and calmly approach the group of ascetics and wait to be acknowledged. He's basically going to stay on standby. My assumption is that that culture check doesn't tell 5e whether or not it's appropriate to interrupt right now. So with that culture check, it would be realistic to assume that this is some sort of meditation and it wouldn't be highly approved of to step in and disrupt it. But because one of them noticed you, their eyes slowly open as a bright moat begins to glow above their head, circling them, and they address everyone else quietly. If everyone would please continue their meditations, I shall return. And they slowly stand up and 
when they move, it has this elegant glide to it as they step around the circle and gesture for you to step back into the halls with them. Okay. I was informed by the Vice Admiral that we would be having visitors. Welcome. Standard rotational greetings. Thank you for your hospitality. I am sentient unit in R5E, and this is my ward, Marani Kerdin. He is considering enrolling in the monastery if indeed you are accepting recruits at present, and we would request a tour of the facilities. They give a solemn nod with their eyes closed. I believe that I can accommodate this request. If the child, and they look at Myrani, wishes to join, we will need to determine their capabilities, but I don't think that would be an issue. Please follow me. We will do so. Thank you. So throughout the duration of this tour, NR5E is going to be asking questions that hit key criteria for his programming as to what his duty is to Myrani in, in terms of the type of environment that is appropriate to leave him in. And that's going to be issues of consent, of what the duty to care for this monastery is to their charges, if they have any regulatory oversight from another governing body, what is the work-life balance like for students who are enrolled here, um, how much of an academic rigor or a preparatory education can Myrani expect to receive there alongside traditional monastic schooling and meditative things? And is there a variety of extracurricular activities and athletic opportunities as well? So 5e is trying to check all of those boxes that he would check if he were interviewing a private school, <laughs> because that is literally what he's coded to do, <laughs> even if the, that square peg doesn't quite fit in this round hole. So you find that as you're walking on this tour, that Eliax Couture is the head sola of this small branch of the Cosmonasteries. And you find that this place is overseen, at least indirectly, by the Cosmonastery on the Adari world ship, where the way of the cycle is essentially taught at its highest levels, the most elite school. This head sola trained there themselves before coming to start this branch. And it's much like some of the most exclusive schools that it has a lot of structure, it has classes, it has training to understand their abilities and utilize them even in combat. There are great warriors here, as Sol had told you, but there are also great scholars. It is a place that's true to its name and that is both calm and wild. They work hard, but they also play hard. Yeah. No, they definitely do not play hard. <laughs> They're like one big family here. <laughs> it's the uh, volleyball scene from Top Gun, except everyone is in monk robes, and it's not sexy at all. <laughs> mm, I don't like it. No. <laughs> but with this tour, it becomes clear to you as well why Soul would not want to be here but it might be a place that my Ronnie could find some peace. That is extremely informative. Thank you. The door quietly slides open as an oversized vesk stomps into the lab. <laughs> ah, pawns. I ran into a friend of yours out in the hall. They look back over their shoulder at the door. Claimed to be on his way to speak with you. Gas mask, red glowing eyes. Is it actually a friend, or should I go back out and bite his head off? <sighs> He's at least a, a good acquaintance. Yeah, no head biting is going to be necessary. Mm. 
Fine, but I'll be here if you need assistance. And one set of their extendo claws, like, shink! Pons very limply lifts up one of his arms. Yeah, for the state I'm in, that actually would be appreciated. <laughs> and as they walk away into the lab, you hear them mumble something irritatedly about this planet lacking good transportation infrastructure, and it seems like they're having a tough time getting off Akaton. Pons is pondering. I wonder if we could get Uzi's spaceship over here to take people off world. Hmm. So you head out into the hall and you see Jasper standing at one of the transparent walls looking down at the city below. And as you silently float up, they turn and give you an acknowledging head nod. Hello, Pons. Good to see you doing well. Yeah, I've been better, but... He seems a little awkward for some reason as he's talking to you, but he seems to adjust himself. So, I had a conversation with, uh, with Sol, and they told me that you had something to do with why most of the people on this wretched rock can now just spontaneously protect themselves from the elements, and, uh, a few of my people say they had visions of a contemplative in a suit, and, uh, I can't think of any other templates who would present in such a way besides you, so... Yeah. I'm guessing it must be true. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool, right? Not the best feeling thing I've ever done, but have you seen... Trying to think about, actually, like, would Jasper have been in Nurian's lab before? They have only come to the front door. They haven't actually gone inside. Kind of nervous to even mention the machine. Mm. I don't feel like at this point it really matters. That is fully up to you. Yeah, but it's like a pretty powerful tool depending on how it's abused. You are correct. I'm going to bluff. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's go. Yeah, so every contemplative, uh, they get this like one-time thing that you can kind of elevate your abilities and reach out to more creatures than you normally would be able to. It takes a lot out of us, but uh, I, it seemed like I managed it successfully. <laughs> go ahead and give me a deception roll, please. Yeah, of course. Uh, vote bluff, yeah. Yeah. That is a, a 19. Jasper looks you over. They have this flat affectation because of the mask. Well, I guess I can't say I've ever heard of that, but I'm no template, so who am I to say? Does Pons feel like he was convinced, or should he continue down ranting to try to further convince him? By the way, he's not asking further direct questions about it. You can infer that he rolled in that one. Oh, okay. Well, whatever it was that you did, it was admittedly more than I would have expected. You're one of Sol's friends, true, and that gives you credit in my books, but that said, you know that your species and I do not get on well. And they kind of turn their head as if thinking about something. Well, I've not lived on this planet my whole life, and I want to try to see things from outside perspectives. Well, that's one more thing that makes you unique, then. Because <sighs> while I hate to be wrong, seems I have been quite a few times recently about people in particular. Well, you are, let's say, a credit to your species. Because I don't think many templates would go so far as to use their one and only lifetime ability to contact more people in such a way as to help an entire planet to survive. Right. Oh, I'm sure that there's been other uses of this ability in less than helpful ways. 
Of that I have no doubt. But I, I guess what I'm here to say is thank you, Pons, for what you've done. And Pons kind of brightens up a little bit from the very serious kind of accusation that he just made there about his own species. Oh, of course. Is that all you came here to say? Uh, you're, you're welcome. Yeah, if anything to help the people on this planet, I, I was actually hoping to talk to you soon anyway. How goes the evacuation? I'm assuming that's what we're hoping to accomplish at this point. It's proceeding. The Infernex decided they were going to sabotage as many ships as they could on the way out. So repairing that or even finding people who have the knowledge to do so has been challenging. However, we have managed to get a few ships off the ground, sending them towards Absalom Station or anywhere who would accept a large amount of refugees. You know, you had asked me before what I knew about the Thassaron, and I gave Sol a data chip about this, but I have a feeling, since they're not terribly good at communicating things like this, they might not have gotten back to you. But the planet is declining rapidly, and it has something to do with a spatial event that took place out in the vast coinciding with whatever it was causing drift travel to slow down. And this event seems to have affected multiple planets, particularly those already on their way out, if you know what I mean. Ah, uh, okay, that that all makes some sense now. We haven't had any chance of looking at ways of reversing that, have you? No, uh, we've only just recently got the information and evacuation has been prioritized. Of course. Oh, please do let me know if there's anything more I can do to assist. I uh, I only know of a couple places and probably not too helpful as far as that would take in refugees. And we're dealing with a couple, you know, close relatives that we also need to make sure find safety. But any extra time I have, you know, point me in a direction and I'll assist however I can. I'm sure we can work something out. And I'm sure the people of this planet would appreciate all the help they can get, especially from a contemplative. Well, since it was mentioned that there might be ways off planet, perhaps I too could come assist for some short time before I leave for the Vescarium. I wasn't listening at the door, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I don't think we need any walls to break down. Uh, oh, well, that's very unfortunate, but I suppose uh, then I'll just have to find a ship to leave to the Vescarian sooner rather than later. Why don't you go ahead and point me in the direction, masked man? And Jasper looks over at you for a second, pawns, and then back up to Swarkisgor. Yeah, um, why don't you go ahead and follow me? I'm sure we can figure that out too. Well, pawns, I'll be in touch. All right, you, you got my comms link. And Jesper walks away down the hall with Swarkus Gore stomping in his wake, leaving you alone in the lab with Narians. During this tour, Whisker was left all alone to their own devices. <laughs> yeah, we just kept walking. <laughs> so you and your siblings, Whisker, are taking a scenic tour, looking at the sculptures, and the carvings on the walls, passing by a well-stocked library. I know the other dovetails are here somewhere, I just don't know where. Do you have any ideas? Feather, wide-eyed, 
we could try over there, we could try over there, we could try over here, we could try over there. And it's just bouncing back and forth with like way more energy than they should be exerting right now. But this new experience is just wild to them. While you're trying to keep Feather from running too far ahead and looking at everything, you pass several of the Solarians that give you odd looks, but don't actually impede you. Until after some time, you come across a room with a door that's open and you can hear some voices inside and there's some sort of excitement happening. Oh, come on, that was my play. I was going to win that. You can't do nothing. You hear both Tank and Bobber arguing. It sounds like they're playing some sort of card game, but they're just kind of screaming and it's echoing around this calm, quiet place. That would be the wild part. <laughs> <laughs> I think we found them. Excitedly, Feather just sprints down the hall after a couple steps, realizes how bad of an idea that is right now, slows down, but still is trying to. Oh, take it easy. You only just got back on your feet the other day. They look up at you and they just look between you and the room and you and the room and you in the room. Come on, let's go say hi. Yeah, they grab onto Twizich Jr.'s hand, who is kind of getting pulled along in this, but when they hear the voices, they pick up the pace. As you guys move into a room that looks like it has been, let's say, fitted for visitors, pushed into a makeshift bunker as sitting in different places, you see the remaining part of the Dovetail family. Nima seems to be working away on a computer while again, the twin brothers are playing and yelling. Some people are sleeping, but none of them right away notice as you all get to the doorway. <coughs> you clear your throat as the whole room turns to look at you. And at that moment, Feather just screams with excitement and starts again trying to run in towards the rest of their family. It's Tank and Bomber who jump up first, run over and grab, and they're just like screaming about how Feather has returned. They look up, they see Twizzik Jr. Everyone in the room starts getting wildly excited and there's just this raucous uproar. And I could just imagine a Solarian walking by and be like, Shh, and then just keep going. <laughs> Yeah, I think Whisker will close the door to try and provide as much silence to the outside as possible, but it's not enough. <laughs> it's just not enough. It's not even close. You can see that people's faces are lighting up. People are jumping up and down, grabbing each other. Even Nima stands up from what they were doing wide eyed and looks around at what's happening. And it seems they're the first to notice that it's not Scriff who brought these two back to the family. But not wanting to disrupt the levity and joy that's happening right now, they walk over, they smile, they hug their family that had been lost for so long, and then gently they remove themselves from this excitement and walk over to you, Whisker. Thank you so much for bringing back the members of my family. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me and all of us. Of course. It's all right. I know. I mean, I have a big family too, and I would hate to have anything bad happen to them. They look upon you, see the Yusoki ancestry. Yusokis are known for having large families, so she smiles at that and gives you a nod. If you don't mind me asking, there is one more member of my family who said that they would be bringing back my siblings. Screef Dovetail, do you know them? Oh, Screef. Yes, um, they wanted me to deliver you a message. 
And when you make this pause, it seems that the commotion in the background had just suddenly died down a little bit at the mention of Scriff. And now everyone just turns and is looking at you, waiting for this answer. Oh, well, and at this point, Whiskers thinking back through Scriff's memories of everything that has happened to the Dovetail family up to this point with being separated from Scriff due to his decisions to leave the family to pursue his own dreams, dreams which resulted in the capture of all of them by the dervish and the torture that happened at his hands and realizes that it's not going to be possible to have this family safe and also be a part of it. And so when they notice that everyone's looking and say, I'm sorry to tell you that Scriff is gone. He cared for you very much. And he wants you to know that the most important thing to him was all of you. And it took him some time to realize that, but he did. And he just wants you to be safe. And I think he would be glad that you are all together again. So the voices that were once excited begin to turn sad and confused and even angry. And during this entire time, Nima has been staring Whisker down, trying to read what they're saying beneath the words, trying to understand how this could happen and trying to make deductions based on what little information was given. And they turn back towards everyone else, the rest of the Dovetail family, and say, This is a time of both joy and sadness for us. Don't hold back your emotions. I will find out what happened. And they look back towards you, Whisker. Please follow me outside. They take you out through the door, make sure it's shut, walk you down the hallway until you come to a large opening that looks out over the ocean and they look back at you. It has always been my job to understand people, watch the way they move, hear how they talk. Why does saying this message hurt you the way it should only hurt family? Nima, do you remember when you gave Scriff that going away gift? It takes them a second to change lanes because this is not what they were expecting to hear. A, a data pad, a, a program I put on the cat? That's right. Scriff never told you exactly how much that meant to him. Do you know he kept it to the end? He even gave up his life to ensure that a part of it could continue on. He always saw it as an extension of his relationship with you. Scriff is gone, but he's not lost. When the time comes, when everything is safe for you all, if you will have me, I would like to come back. But right now, it is better if, for your safety and the safety of the others, that Scriff is completely dead. But I just want you to know that a part of him lives on here. And they point to their chest. As you finish saying this, Nima is looking at you with these real hard eyes, trying to find out 
what you're saying, what you're trying to imply, where lies might be found. She's just trying to understand this. So you are a part of my brother and the other part is... And you can see them trying to put these weird clues together. Somehow, Cat... Script didn't want to see Cat lost. The program that you created those years ago, something happened and it was gaining sentience. Circumstances required that they become one. Not entirely dead, but not the same as you knew. And Nima's usually pretty good at keeping composure, but you see that she's beginning to tear up. Does that mean that I'm never going to see Scriff again? That's correct. They're just standing in silence, looking around at everything but you. This universe is vast and I do not understand most of it, but I thought I understood my family. (laughs) And they look at you. We all make changes. I just, this is not what I was expecting. But if everything you say is true, then if you are... And they just look up at the ceiling. The next evolution of Scriff, I don't know, but... All I can tell you is Scriff made this decision with full understanding of the consequences. (sighs) Shang, you know... Scriff was bound to do something like this. He never made it easy on you. I'm sorry that I am going to continue that tradition, but I think it's for the best that you do not tell the others. I don't want to risk breaking their heart a second time because I do not know if I'm going to be able to come back and see you all ever again. There are large forces at play and I am at the center of it. Nima opens her mouth to say something, but can't argue the validity of that point. You can tell by what she's done in the past. She was about to scold you as she did Scriff about trying to be together with the family and coming back home. But instead, she closes her mouth and nods slowly. No matter what changes have been made, only a dovetail could really be this difficult to deal with. So you must be family, <laughs> and we will be here when this is all said and done. And they reach one finger up and put it right in the middle of your chest. And you, no one else, will come back at the end. I will do everything I can to keep this promise. I know you will. No more lying to your sister. Whisker nods. Okay, deal. And she steps in and puts her hands around you. Whisker returns the embrace, possibly the last hug with another dovetail that they will ever get. So you are basically by your own volition dragged through the halls. And honestly, because of the history you've had here, that's fair. I feel like Sola wants to make an even bigger scene and probably would if not for trying to make a better impression with Myrani and not get Myrani immediately expelled due to their association with them. So they do restrain themselves a bit more as they're going through the halls. It gets to a point where Lieutenant Rami Alpha 5 doesn't even have to actually fully drag you. 
can you can you just make it a bigger scene right as we get there? I just really want to bother her. I don't want to cause commotion out here. In this circumstance, they just ignore you because they've been dragging you across the entire complex. So the lieutenant brings you up to a door and stops just short of it. They turn to face you and say, you're on your own. And then they just put their data pad up next to the door. You hear it click open. And with a soldier's stride, they simply leave you here. Soul stands, feeling very foolish, heaves a sigh, squares their shoulders, and strides in. Did they leave you handcuffed? I'm going to roll for handcuff. <laughs> After all your protesting, they were nice enough to take the handcuffs with them. Mm, such a shame. So as you move into this room as hesitantly as you possibly can, it's a fairly large chamber with one wall opening completely towards the wild forest of Castrovel. You see Vin Harkion looking at a data pad while sitting in a very conservative chair with a perfectly square marble slab that acts as a table. Her uniform is different, more stern somehow, as is her hard-set face. She doesn't look up when you enter, but gestures to the one empty seat across the slab. So they walk in, and as is their tradition, grab the chair and loudly drag it around the slab to be on the same side as Vin. It's that scene from Men in Black. (laughs) (laughs) Drops the chair, drops themselves rather artfully but disheveledly upon it. You know, if you'd like to punish me, there are far more entertaining ways to do so. For possibly the first time ever in your relationship, she doesn't willingly go for the bait. And she turns to you, her face still as stern as when you walked in, as if you hadn't just done that with the chair. When we had spoke, you had made some requests of me, so I would like to hear about them in full. Not even going to compliment the hair? Business before pleasure, dear. (sighs) You always were taxing. And they do actually straighten themselves up a bit. I know how I could be in the air I tried to project, but actually, there are a great number of people in need. Akaton is not going to be habitable much longer. You need bodies, and yes, it takes a while to train people, but there's a lot of very capable people who are very hungry for work that will actually pay. This request is one that I will need to bring before my superiors. But it does have merit. The attacks out in the vast have begun to accelerate, and the prospect of more soldiers is tempting. However, because this is a private security firm and has its own rules, regulations, methods, having this information come from a source within the organization might go a long way. That's why I'm giving it to you. You had said something, or should I say mumbled something, when we were speaking, that some of the people I had spoken with before would care to potentially join the IDF. And their eyes, those piercing green eyes, are fully staring you down. Obviously, I can't speak for everyone, but interest was expressed. We... Might have lost our ship, a friend promised us one, but then 
Infernax apparently sabotaged everything flightworthy on the planet. I don't know how they managed that. I'm sure deals could be arranged, but you can't separate them. There's something very powerful about those people being together. She slowly nods. If that is the case, Soul, then I will need you to in fact speak for them. I have potential need for a group in which I can trust to do things that must be done. That said, such a thing cannot happen if every member of this crew is not part of the same contract. I... I can't promise about Koto and Para. They're off doing things, getting experience and skills, but they did both say they were coming back. That shall have to suffice for now. So, insofar as you and your comrades joining the IDF... And they take a breath. How I wish I could bask in hearing that, since it has been years that I've been trying to bring you to this cause, I must at this time quiet my ego. Well, you really should live it up while you have the chance, darling. We'll see what happens on the other side of all this. <laughs> but for now, I must ask you these questions. Whom do you speak for? Name them. Are we really going to do this? Is this how we're... You see her straighten up, and instead of being the usual, more relaxed version she is with you, you can tell that right now it is all authority. Soul winces. But then you see they stop slouching as they were artfully arranged on the chair and sit up straighter. I speak for the crew of the formal second hand. Whisker, NR5E, Koto, Hara, and Ponsnerians. And as you finish this list, unmovingly, they stare at you waiting for one more name. And myself, Sol the Solarian. Do you, Sol the Solarian, and by extension, those you speak for, pledge your alliance to the Interspace Defense Force to defend the Pact World's Alliance, extended allies, and those who are in desperate need from forces who would seek to prey on the weak, lost, and infirmed? So narrows their eyes slightly and leans forward, dropping one finger onto the tabletop. Under one condition, and this is one that applies only to me, it is not required of the others. I've been in your commissions before. I've seen how your people operate. They wince. I want you to put me through your basic training so that I can at least integrate better when we work alongside with the rest of the IDF. You can see behind the stern outlook that they have, there is still a hint of surprise in those eyes. Very well. Then yes, I do. Will you, Sol the Solarian, and by extension those you speak for, enforce the commands given to you by the IDF chain to be executed to the best of your abilities? Yes. Will you, Sol the Solarian, and by extension those you speak for, act as a task force under my direct command in service not to my vanity, but for the sake of our universe against the Silan incursion, to fight by my side and to annihilate those who would dare stand against the likes of us? And at this point she smiles. That, my darling, I will do with extreme pleasure. Well then, welcome to the IDF. By the time your basic training is done, 
You will find yourself captain of the Skydark Vigilance. Ca captain? Uh, do we get to rename the ship at least? Her eyebrows drop a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll discuss that after your basic training is complete. Well then, seems we have an accord. She relaxes up a little bit at this point, but she's still much more serious than she usually likes to be. Mm. And she looks over towards the open doorway. A large-scale evacuation on the precipice of a coming war is no small ask. That said, I think that the proposal of recruitment will go a long way, and especially with you and your crew's willingness to join the IDF. I think I can convince them of something, but I cannot guarantee. Tell them everyone there is an expert tinker. Everyone there has been maintaining systems that should have died long ago. They'll have lots of mechanics on their hand. Everyone needs that. And as you're saying that, she turns her head to the side and holds up a hand like she's hearing something from somewhere else. She then responds, and it's clear that she's on some sort of comm unit. I was not to be disturbed. How insistent he is doesn't matter. And there's a pause as she listens to something. <sighs> Very well, I'll accept the feed rooted to this room's console. And she turns to you. So, Unity Front, one of the other large packed world security forces, and usually a direct competitor, has been insistent on contacting me. They at least seem to comprehend how real the threat of the Cylan is. So if I can broker some sort of alliance with them, they may even be able to offer ships to help with this evacuation. And I know this will be difficult, but if you would please sit still for just a moment. Do you want me to help? Wolfish grin. He doesn't say anything. She just looks at you for a second. They will at least make sure their posture is respectable. So they reach out and tap onto this marbled slab in the middle of the room, and it brings up an image, clearly a transmission from somewhere. And on the image is a man. They look powerful in build and presence. They have metallic touched skin and flowing white hair that plays around their shoulders with these two golden burning eyes that seem to be boring into Vin as she sits in front of this console. She says, Rear Admiral Drykar Tall. And in an instant, Soul, you aren't the seasoned fighter, a vast explorer, a Solarian. You are a small child lying on the ground, a blurry, stunned crowd surrounding you with a glowing ASMR towering over you, gleaming blade at your throat and a pain at your skull. Words chanted at you and words spoken to you. And what was said comes rushing back. I felt your cursed blood the moment I set foot on this station. This is my warning to you, devil. I will not let you corrupt these people. Consider this your eviction notice and tears of fear unbidden begin to well at the corner of your eyes. Soul, give me a will save. That's a 22. You had pulled your chair right next to Vin, so you are well within the view of this person. And as you look at the face 
of the person who attacked you long ago when you were still on the streets running with the Brass Enigma. One who slashed off a horn from your head, threw you to the ground, and was clearly trying to banish you from this plane as a devil or demon. You're sitting frozen, wide-eyed, shaking much like you did when you were a child. And much of this conversation is like a blur. You don't hear the words that are being said. You only hear the regal yet terrifying somber tone that they speak in. After several minutes, you begin to try to pull yourself back. And the only words that you hear as this face disappears from view is Repugnant monsters come crawling from the dark, seeking their righteous end. We will oblige. Justice will be done, and we will be the hand. I will be in contact soon. And with this air of supreme confidence, the feed cuts out. Soul has been shaking slightly, but keeping as still as they possibly can, trying to not show any of this. But as soon as it blinks out, they just shrink in their seat. Oh, fuck. Then you cannot trust that man. Ben had just cut off the call and taken a breath in when they look over and see that the usually very composed soul is just crumbling before them. What do you know, soul? What is happening? <sighs> they actually like get close and put a hand on your shoulder. I, it, soul tries to shrug it away and just, it, I'm sorry that wasn't a, didn't exp- That individual, I have no doubt will commit atrocities in the name of a holy war they don't know anything about. So I don't understand how you know this person, but I was just speaking with them, trying to negotiate ways to find ships for Akaton. They are quite high ranking in the Unity Front organization. Yes, of course they're private security, of course. You cannot let them know I'm working with you. You can't let anyone of infernal ancestry near them. You cannot. They look up at your headband, and then they look away almost as if, like, ashamed for a moment. So, I believe that you were fully visible during that conversation. You don't look in keeping with many tieflings, but... No, and a large part of that is because of him. I know that Desperate times make for strange bedfellows, but you have got to be very careful. You need to be aware of whom you're getting into bed with. He didn't show restraint against a child. Imagine what he'll do to someone who, enemy or no, is armed. There's any kind of excuse, Finn. I... I trust you, Sol. I believe the word you say. You actually see their shoulders, like, sag a little bit with a surprising relief when she says that. This is a difficult and desperate situation, but with everything I can, I will take your words as warning, and I will keep you far from the grasp of... And even though they look unhappy to be talking about this person, the Rear Admiral. Again, it's not just me. It is anyone who might even be perceived as any connections. If they are truly as much a zealot as you say and they seem, then I can only imagine 
what they would attempt to commit during a war. I do not know if I have the power to deal with this, but I will attempt to direct it how I can. Trust you to do your job better than I could, so... Sorry you uh, saw me like that. I'm... <clears throat> and they do kind of straighten and start trying to regain some composure. I'm not normally that um, transparent. <laughs> they shake their head. So we have our relationship, but let us never pretend that who we appear to be are who we are. Just know, I would much rather have you beside me than against me. Wouldn't mind having you both ways, honestly, but I take your very kind meaning. Again, they really look like they're about to say something. (laughs) Oh, you're no fun anymore. Yes, now I have to be this. Look what you've done to me, so how could you? And they flip their hair just a little bit. I never did quite say this, but that first contract you gave me, which you had no reason to give me, I was nearing the end of my rope then. I know it was not that much to you, but... That job may well have saved my life, and I've never actually thanked you. I'm finding I'm doing a lot of thanking lately, so thank you. They don't meet her eyes. A weight lifts from my heart to hear you say that. It seems that the changes you have made have been for the better. And you see they give you a once-over looking at all the silver points on you now. Ah, gold is a bit gaudy, don't you think? Well, so... You should take your rest now while you can, before I shift you off to basic training. We'll speak again. Why this place? Why here? Because now, with the Silen on the horizon, we must face our demons and our pasts. It's time for you to face yours. I've already faced down one demon, killed him twice by my count. Thank you, I'm doing quite well. But as they say, it's time you face yours, They look towards the door. What did you do? They sit up in their chair and look at their data pad. Thank you, Sol. You are dismissed. I will make your life a living hell. And they get up and don't quite storm out of the room because their motions are jerky and nervous and they're going pale again. And the door closes quietly behind you as you move out into the place where... To you, you had been left long ago. They step out into the hall, and they are moving as quickly and quietly as they can, knowing the best ways to stay out of sight, because they certainly did enough sneaking and troublemaking in this space. And as they go, they don't even realize they're doing it until they look down and it's in their hand. They look at about a two-inch length of black horn with one jagged end, and they sneer and shove it back in their pocket, keep their hands open as they go and try and find everyone again. Ivy, as the tour of this place begins to wind down and the High Sola has answered every one of your questions quickly, efficiently, and satisfactorily, they turn to the both of you and say, it seems to me that, Myrani, you would have much to learn by staying here. Though, it seemed that the two of you wished to have a conversation before making any sort of commitment. And they gesture to a nearby room, which they just have smoothly navigated all of you to. 
Please use this room to speak over this opportunity. Should I find any other members of your party, I shall direct them to you. Thank you again for your hospitality, High Solar, and for the time you've given us here. You have a most impressive facility. It's been a pleasure to meet you. They bow. May the universe allow us to meet again. And as they're saying that, their hands are making these circles, and they glide away, leaving you and Myrani yourselves. 5e looks at Myrani and says, I suppose we should make ourselves comfortable. I've never seen a magical place like this before, but I haven't seen a place that holds the candle to this since the Kurdans were alive. And they try to change subjects. It's a beautiful place. I concur. Their curriculum is more than satisfactory. You will learn much here, and you will be safe. Do you wish to stay? Myrani opens the door and moves into the chamber. They look over at you. It's hard to know what I want. I have so many people's voices speaking at me from different times in my life. But looking at the people here, they're on a quest to find some sort of peace and balance. And that's something I I don't have. Being around you reminds me of a time in which I did. I'm sorry. There is no need to apologize. I am rather sympathetic to the observation. There was more peace in my life when Olivia and Lassenth were alive too. Do they clench their hands when you say their parents' actual names? But don't let fear keep you away from making your own determination of who and what you are. I am most impressed by your developmental progress. Despite enduring extremely adverse conditions in recent years, you remain resilient, observant, independent, and adaptive. But you require a more structured and safe environment than what I can provide you at present. I believe this place fulfills all legal and ethical criteria by which I am bound as your guardian of record, if it is satisfactory to you. So Myrani looks into your faceplate, your LEDs, the cameras behind them, and their dark eyes are darting back and forth to find out who I am. I've been trying to look at the people around me, trying to understand what they see me as, who they need me to be. Ivy, when I first knew you, you were very... They shake their heads. I don't know. Robotic. But since you came back, you're different. You changed. If you can change from what you were to what you are, is it possible that I can too? And how, how could you go from, go from being a robot to being a person when I can't even understand that myself? It was a matter of being given purpose. You were that purpose. My job was to take care of you. And in doing so, I found out that there were many, many more tasks required to do that. There is one more thing you should know. My acquired heristogenesis is conflicting with my ingrained caretaker programming in order to most effectively combat the Cylon. It is imperative that I partition those datasets from one another and potentially delete my caretaker modules altogether. But you deserve to know that should you need me again, I will serve you optimally in that capacity. Therefore, I am entrusting to you a copy of my caretaker partition should you need to reinstall it. In our 5e hands Myrani a data chip. And then 5e takes the bracelet of the true triune off of his left arm and hands it to Myrani. Additionally, this is a magical beacon. Once activated, it will allow me to triangulate your position from anywhere in the known galaxy. Only you can activate it. 
If at any time you need my assistance, you have only to contact me through this beacon. Be advised, however, that with my caretaker partition disabled, it is likely I will use any and every means at my disposal to reach your position when called. My tracking methodologies may be more disruptive as a result of this. And their mouths just open slightly as they stare at them and look back up at you. There's these emotions boiling over in his eyes. And again, usually he tries to keep himself controlled in all situations because that's what he was forced to do to survive. But you just handed him essentially what he believes makes you who you are. And they stare at you for a long time. I know that you have to fight this war. I know that you can't have anything holding you back. And he thinks about how you had just told him he had been your purpose. Is that what you want to be? Is that your new purpose? No, I fight this war so that you can have the future that your parents wanted for you. My purpose has not changed. The Kurdans are gone. You are all I have. And they close their hand around the data chip. And you see them stealing themselves to try to say something. And they nod. I, I don't consider you to be owned by the Kurdans. I don't consider you to be property. You are, you are part of my family, the only family I have. There will never be a time in which I call you to service again. Going off to fight for a future I don't know I deserve. And they clinch the other fist. So when the time comes, you won't have to come running to me. I will come to help you. Then I have taught you what I must. I am confident that your studies here will yield a wealth of new talents to supplement those you have already developed. If all goes according to plan, the next time we meet will be as comrades and friends rather than guardian and ward. But regardless, I will always consider you family, just as I did your parents. I have no doubt that you will exceed their desired expectations for you in ways that no algorithm I have passed can predict. I wish you success and prosperity, Marani Gurdon. Thank you for giving me purpose. And thank you for giving me a chance to live. Hearing Soul's voice down the hall. Yes, I'm back. Aren't you excited to see me? I'm a captain of the IDF now. Why don't you take me to my friends? I imagine the sooner we leave this place, the more quiet and serene it will become. And my Ronnie just kind of shakes off all of the conversation and emotion that had just happened to say, it will certainly be quieter, but I might find myself missing that. So my Ronnie stands up, goes over to the door, opens it, Soul, soul. <laughs> and then just walks back in the room. Oh, well, it was lovely seeing you again, Head Sola. I'll be on my way. <laughs> They're just shaking their head ever so slightly as you walk away. Soul did not make friends in this place, y'all. <laughs> All right, so I don't know what Vin has done, but I know it's going to upset me. We need to get... And they're like ready to talk about getting off planet right now. And they look at my Ronnie and they're like, how, how are you? How are you feeling? And just all of the bravado of like, we're getting out of here right now, just evaporates as they remember being in this place and hearing that people are leaving them. Um, congratulations, by the way, we've joined the IDF. Ah, uh, good. I was wondering how the formal arrangements would be made. I spoke for the whole team. Koto might be mad at me. 
I am sure it can be negotiated. Where is Whisker? Smash cut. (laughs) (laughs) So about that time, you just, you hear this laughter and this joyous conversation and you recognize Whisker's voice talking to someone and then they walk into the room and the last thing you hear is they walk in and they had their communicator on the entire time. (laughs) Oh, there you are. Hi, Sol. Look, I found your friends and ushers in these two Lashunta Solarians. I think Sol has their back to the door, like very focused on making sure Myrani is okay with being here, like annoyingly making sure they're okay with this. And then they hear Whisker and they're like, ah, da, da. and then they hear the story and they're like, oh, they're doing it again. And they turn to like glare at you and Everyone sees them just freeze. Like soul.exe has stopped working. <laughs> I was hearing some wonderful stories about you, Soul, and I shared a few of my own. I hope uh, that's okay. As you saw in the control room, what little color they have, they are gray. They turn ashen white. By sheer for it is not will, it is pride, it is pure ego. They start to like claw themselves back into some sort of semblance of a very forced smile. Avalasha, it's been a while. And they just stand stiffly, shoulders squared, and are watching their faces, looking at their expressions. Oh, we made a stop at the kitchen. Uh, this is for you. Uh, they said it was the thing you hated the least here. Doesn't even look at Acknowledge Whisker at this point. <laughs> Also, it's one of those, like, vegetarian, barely mush, rice and beans, flavorless slop. So as they move into the room, this is the first time some of you have gotten a real good look at these two. They are some of the most beautiful people you've ever seen. With greenish skin, drawn back hair, and antennae that stretch above their head. One is a little taller, a little lankier. It was the one that was mostly talking to Whisker. This is Ethel. The other is smaller, more robust. They look like they could take on a tank and win. This is Asha. Ethel still has a bit of a smile on their face from when Whisker was telling a story. And as they step into the room proper, A complicated expression seems to go across their face, and they go to smile and step forward, but Asha sticks a hand out and stops him, and she's the first to say something. Greetings, soul. It's good to see that you're well. We appreciate the warning that you sent. The Admiral filled us in on some of the details. Ethel has an expression on his face where he's looking down at her. It looks like he wants to say something. Generally speaking, he's the one that does more of the talking of the two. She's the quiet and stoic type. As Ethel starts to like step forward, you all see Soul instinctively start to move forward too, and then they very quickly stop themselves. Well, I'm certainly glad to see you're both safe and sound. It's been quite a while. So you've met Whisker. Doesn't look at Whisker. (laughs) Hello. At this point, Ethel does actually say something. Ethel reaches over and pats Whisker on the shoulder. 
Yes, we've already become best friends. That is what you're good at, isn't it? Yes, uh, but it's good to see you again, Soul. It seems that we kept missing one another across the galaxy. Yes, wonder how that happened. Their expression is remaining very guarded, as impenetrable as they can make it, just watching the others' faces, trying to read them. Ethel trying to do something about the sheer awkward heaviness in the room. They just start talking, basically. We've uh, spoken with your friend. Uh, she seems lovely. She told us a little bit about the things that you've been involved with, like a, a war, for example, that's coming. That's, well, that's exciting. So... Exciting isn't exactly the words I would use. Right. Yeah, of course. Of, yeah, of course not. That's not what I meant. As they look awkwardly. <laughs> well, so I would say that Souls told us so much about you, but... I have not. But it is nice to meet you both nonetheless. Um, I'm going to give just a little space, I think. 5e, Marani, maybe uh, you also, I can show you to the kitchen. It is past the appointed hour of meals. That is a good idea. I may need to find a charging station as well. We'll, we'll be back. Myrani stands up, looks between both groups of people, how there's this cowboy standoff happening. Yeah, I could eat. <laughs> and they'll begin moving towards the exit, but in doing so, they brush by Soul, and as stealthily as they possibly can, they hit the communicator on their data pad. I think... <laughs> as they brush by, Soul mistakes this for a supportive gesture. <laughs> and lightly, oh, Pat pats his arm and meets his eyes and is, you won't find anything good to eat here, but get used to that. Myrani gives a little nod, doesn't say anything, and proceeds to leave the room. <laughs> I love that kid so fucking much. <laughs> and terrifyingly, for everyone involved, the silence just continues. Soul, who cannot shut up, is just standing here, staring down these two. Has been rocked off their feet so many times today, coming back to this place that they never wanted to see again. Seeing that individual going back to that moment, which actually started all of this. And here they are staring at these two people and the reunion that they have yearned for and dreaded for a decade. And they just stare at them, waiting for someone else to make the first move. So after far too long of silence and Ethel trying desperately to figure out the right thing to say that could possibly fix this moment, which one, of course, does not exist. Asha speaks up again. And when they do, they're looking at the two moats that are orbiting your head. You seem to have made your own way in the universe, Soul. They almost seem concerned. A flicker of a smirk pulls at one corner of their mouth as they reach up and let their fingertips brush that secondary moat as it orbits by. Well, you always did say I was special. Why, yes, it looks like you've found your own form of balance. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful, right? I would love to know more about it, Soul. How how did you come to get a second Solarian moat? That's 
He tries not to use the word exciting again. It's something of a long story. Turns out it's not so easy out there in the universe, but... And their eyes drift to the door where the others just left. I found some people who believed in me more than they should have. Guess it unlocked something. Ethel almost looks angry for just a moment. That's wonderful, soul. You were always someone who would find their own way. And what about you two? Where are they? They shift their head as if trying to look behind the two. They? They look over, trying to see through the door towards your friends. Whatever shiny, bright new student you found took in to replace me. Where are they? Not going to deduce me? Afraid I might corrupt them? Ethel's face goes from confused to hurt. And they just look around and shake their head and... What do you mean someone else to replace you? Clearly I wasn't living up to your expectations, so you dumped me here to have the head solar fix me or whatever? Surely, surely you found someone more exciting. Asha's face is remaining stern, eyes on you, but Ethel being the gentler of the two, so many emotions just keep crossing their face as you say these words. You believe we left you here? Yes! And at this point, like, Soul's tail comes out of the little pocket in the back as it's just lashing, and they keep hitting themselves in the back of the leg with it. You left me here! You abandoned me! You left me on this godsforsaken rock with all of these people who hated me for being everything that I was to, what, fix me? Nine months I waited! What did I do? To make you hate me so much. I know we were fighting, but that's what families do. Why couldn't you at least tell me? So before Asha had stopped Ethel from basically coming out with emotions, but as you say this, she looks like she's been attacked. And that's not something you've seen on her face much. And Ethel takes a step forward, hands out like he's trying to express something that words fail to capture, but he seems to try anyways. The soul, when we brought you here to this place we had learned and grown, and we hoped it would be the next step of your training, the the universe speaks so loudly through you, and you let it flow so naturally. We tried to guide and educate you, yet still give you your creative freedom, but because of your talents, this new life for you, this Solarian life, was always in the palm of your hands, as were our hearts, soul. We let you slide when we should have been strict. We let you play games with our emotions while you probed for deeper truths or lies. We gave you space when you needed closeness, and we we were blinded by our love for our new family member, and in not wanting to crush what makes you special, we did nothing. And by the time that we realized our mistakes, you had long since decided how the universe really worked. We brought you here to find peace of mind. Parental figures who could give you a real home and a purpose. Our presence, it was leading you astray, and our, our failures were bleeding over onto you. Gods, you are idiots! <laughs> Just walk forward and 
do that soul thing of they shove Ethel as hard as they can and then follow through with it to just kind of drop against him, not even looking at Asha at this point. Don't you understand? I don't need parental guidance. I, all I ever wanted was to want these worlds at your side. And you took that from me. What the hell was I supposed to do without the two of you? Asha says, we went to train on the Adari to find our own balance and become better people, better parents, to become more whole. And when we came back, you had run. Our failure come full circle, your fate flung to the winds. They pull back from Ethel and stand tall to defy her, but their tail is still wrapped around Ethel's ankle. Well, it's good to know I am at least a failure. Thank you for confirming that. Hold on. Whisker flings open the door. (laughs) Soul goes absolutely rigid and their tail like pulls back. Let's get one thing clear. Soul is not a failure. I've spent enough time with them to know that. And anyone who says otherwise can come talk to me. I appreciate what you're doing, Whisker, but this is perhaps not the time. How why are you eavesdropping? You invited yourself out of this conversation. It is the time. When when is a better time to stand up for your friends? Ethel looks over at you, Whisker, looks back at Soul, and Asha takes a step forward and smacks Soul across the face. This universe does not revolve around you. It was not your mistakes or your failures. It was ours. It's certainly sounding like I was one of the mistakes you made. They just take the hit because Asha knows exactly how forceful to be to get something through Soul's very thick head. Ethel tries to play mediator again. So when we weren't ordered by the Cosmonasteries, we were out trying to find you. But it seemed every time we got close, you would slip away and vanish into the ether. That's what you do when you don't want to be found. Well, you learned that very well, then. You are so talented. So, my god, the universe even chose you to stand in the way of a coming war. I just wish it hadn't taken that to be able to find you again. They avert their eyes, take a very unsteady breath, and you can see some of that resolve is starting to waver. You left me here. I assumed you didn't want to hear from me again, so I did my best to never trouble either of you again. I didn't want to be more of an embarrassment to you. We failed you, Sol. You never failed us. We wanted to try to give you the teachings, the way of the circle, to help you find your path through life, to help quiet the voices of the universe that scream in your ears. I didn't want her quieted. I didn't... I thought we were coming here to to learn together. I thought I was going to learn about your childhood and we were going to be a family here together and you left me. You didn't even tell me until hours before you left. What was I supposed to think? Months I waited in this horrible place. All they wanted me to do was change. I thought you hated me. They look at Asha's face. The expressions are ones of frustration, indignation, hurt. We lost our balance when we were with you because 
and it looks like the words are almost like dragging out of them as they form them. Because we were caring so much more for you than we were for the path we had chosen. We needed to find, we needed to restore our balance so we could help you to grow in your path too. And I know that's something you would not have wanted to hear. At first, Soul really does take a twisted pleasure in seeing the hurt and just as quickly feels guilty. And their entire expression changes and unguarded, just raw hurt covers their face for a moment. Guilt and pain when they hear that they caused these people they love to lose their own balance. I never meant that for you. I'm sorry. Ethel goes to speak, but Asha raises a hand to where they struck you, and they rest it there. Soul unconsciously leans into the touch. And I'm sorry we failed you. I'm sorry we abandoned you, because we were too weak, too afraid. That's the first truthful thing I've heard you say about this situation. Soul holds up a hand to Whisker and is still just focused on Asha's face to see if she says anything else after that. It's clear she's trying to formulate something. And Ethel says, we were trying to give you a path and we didn't understand that you were already on one and all you needed was someone to support that. Soul closes their eyes for a moment, takes a very deep breath. <sighs> Fuck the circle. Fuck this place. Fuck the head solar. I never wanted approval from anyone but you two. Don't you understand? Even the universe took a back seat. You two were everything to me. The twin stars, the center of my world. I hate you that you left me here, but gods, I've missed you. And they step closer to Asha. Just brace for whatever she's going to do. They just incline their head and rest their forehead against yours. And you can see on their face the pure frustration that can only be at themselves. I can't fix what I am. We are who we are now, but going forward. If you see something break in them, some wall that they have built up starts to crumble. As they grab her with their left arm and reach out for Ethel to pull him in with the other and just drops forward and starts sobbing. You have seen their shoulders shake before, but they, for the first time since they left this planet, cry. They don't have words. They just hold tight to these two people who have meant so much to them. Ethel looks up from this huddle over at Whisker and gently gestures for all of you to come back. As Soul had said that the people that believed in them most were the ones who allowed Soul to understand the perspective of these two who they felt had wronged them so desperately. Ethel is gesturing everyone to come into this embrace. So we come walking up, and of course, Marani is probably monitoring this on comm communication, and I imagine 5e is as well. He mutes it as they get back. <laughs> yeah, and and five five e knows that signal is broadcasting, so like he's doing it as just a matter of security of like, well, I guess I should monitor this. Excuses, excuses. 
Walking back into this room, looking down at Whisker. Ah, I see that a joyous reunion has taken place here for you. My Ronnie just puts a hand on 5e's shoulder and just gives it the <laughs> smallest little head shake. Soul has been ugly crying, and let me be clear, it is a very ugly cry. It is not pretty. No. And they're, like, trying to, like, subtly wipe away tears and snot, and are just, like, <laughs> like collecting themselves as best they can, flushing. 5e, noticing that you're, that you're a, a mess, says, Ah, parameterism ended. Perhaps not a joyful reunion. No, it, um... Evelasha, you know Whisker. This is the rest of my family. Well, the ones that are here. Fivey and my Ronnie. It is a pleasure to meet two alumni of this institution. I'm certain that my Ronnie could use some inspiration and guidance from esteemed members of this organization, as he will shortly be joining it. And any friend of Saul is a friend of mine. It more than friends, but... So you see when you say that, you know, these people are your family, and then you guys speak of my Ronnie and joining this place... Ethel turns ever so gently to you. I'm proud of how you've made your way in the world. Don't make me get emotional again. I've had far too many emotions today. No, I don't like that. My Ronnie looking at this scene, this reunion that if just the wrong words were said, it could have turned into a full on brawl. They look over at 5e and they feel the chip in their pocket. They don't say anything in this moment, but something changes in the way they hold themselves ever so slightly. Someone so hurt and so betrayed can find their way back to family and forgiveness that they too might just have a chance. So takes a little bit of time collecting himself and does the basic introductions and shares a few stories and anyone who pays attention, they're tail stays very tightly wrapped around Ethel's ankle, um, even when they've stopped. Like, they can't seem to stop being close to these two now that that contact has been initiated. And they suddenly, as things are clearly winding down, look to the siblings with just a look of sudden pain. What is going to be your part in this coming war? Asha, seeing that things have now turned to duty rather than emotions, we the first to say anything from what we've been told. This could affect not just our little corner of the galaxy, not just this universe, but a far wider reach. It is our job as Solarian warriors to maintain balance. And their moat glows with an intensity. The Order will fight in this war. And we, and she looks at you, will fight together. Soul lowers their eyes again and looks to Fivey and Whisker and then back again and gotten caught up in things so much bigger than I have any right to be. And if you asked me to come with you now, I would. And they just break a little bit. You can't ask me that because I have duties to do here with these people. It's clear Asha wants to say something and they close their eyes and you can tell they're trying to regain their own personal balance. And Ethel puts a hand on their shoulder. You've found a group of people who have allowed you to grow and flourish. We are not the people at this time to help you further. Maybe sometime in the future, but for now, you are in the right place in the universe. I'm sorry I couldn't be what you wanted me to be, but... All we wanted you to be was happy. I can't wait 
to wander with you again, my very dear family. Once this war is over, that is something that I can say will be exciting. Soldats, I've missed you, and I have to warn you about what's else going on. You remember how we met? It would be hard to forget. Apparently, he's becoming a major player in this war as well. We know his grudges. And in a flash, Asha just looks pissed. Soul can't help but smile. <laughs> that at least is familiar and feels good. As I said, the Solarians will find balance. And they crack their knuckles. <sighs> and there are some parts of the universe that need correcting. I hope you bring me that man's head on a pike. <laughs> I'll lean in and kiss her cheek. Eventually, Soul manages to painfully, but knowing it is the right thing, tear themselves away from these people. Promises to remain in contact, no longer running from the people that mean most to them. And they start heading towards the ship. They say goodbye to Myrani. Take one last long look at the monastery that brought them so much pain. Soul looks over at 5e, unaware of what he's planning. Says, you're very good with him, you know. I was worried about that at first. He's a fast learner, and he's absorbed the lessons that he needs. Now it is time for both of us to do our part. Seems so. And they'll put a hand on his arm and say, I just wish I'd had someone like you when I was his age. And then strides onto the ship. 5e watches quizzically as Saul sashays ahead, still bemused at the actions of some humanoids. Straight up the ramp. Look around at the crew. Hello, your new captain's on board. Shall we get going? So as time begins to pass on Akaton, Pons, your days start to become almost routine. Looking for as much information as possible on this mystery planet and the dervish's connection to that. Helping the people on Akaton and turning into a couch potato on your off time. There eventually comes a point where you realize you're as ready as you can be to meet back up with the rest of the crew and give them this very important information that you have. Yeah, I think just kind of on that day or, or one, you know, after a few months here, Hans is, is going to just, well, Nerians is busily working about the lab. Let him know. Um, it's, it's about that time and something that Hans has been maybe mentioning for a few days that his departure was, was going to occur soon. I got all my stuff. Um, the lab is the way you like it. And you have a towel. You know where your towel is? Yeah. Yeah. Soap, towel, you know, all those things we need. I even borrowed one, one of the hammocks from the sleeping quarters. <laughs> but um, I'll now that I can actually reach you and kind of taps his head a couple times. Yeah, I can. We, we can talk whenever, but I, I don't know how long this is going to be. It might be longer than last time. So you have somewhere safe you can travel to once your time here is, is done? Uh, yes, I, I think I can manage something. It has been difficult to communicate with, uh, what was his name? The, the, the bespectacled fellow with the breathing apparatus. But I, I'm, I'm sure, Pons, Pons, don't, don't worry about me. It's, it's quite all right. Okay, well, then I'll, I'll be off. Pons, before you go, last last time you left, I was confined to that cloning tube. 
I, I say with no small amount of thanks that I do not have to do the same this time. You've, you've done well. Oh, thank you. I'm going to roll a dice. Okay. And I'm not sure exactly what the contemplative appropriate greeting and, and farewell gesture is, but we'll say that under the cultural influence of, of the other members and Whiskers family, he will give Narians a hug before leaving. So you go in and give them a hug, and they seem startled by it. And as you float out the door, you get the impression that even though Narians is very logical and scientifically minded, that just this small act is drawing up some long dormant emotion that they seem entirely unfit to express. You find your way out into the halls, and just for fun, you jump into one of those vacuum tubes that launches you around the city just one more time <laughs> before heading down into the city proper, which you are now much more connected to than you have ever been in your life. You find your way to Jasper. You find your way to a ship leaving the planet. You find your way out once again to Absalom Station and the tremendous roar of life that resides there and you manage to charter a small ship to lead you out to that robot wrestling thing and the rest of the crew who reside there. So sometime later aboard the Skydark Vigilance, NR5E approaches Whisker and says, Excuse me, Whisker, a moment of your time. Of course. I am about to perform a potentially delicate operation on my internal memory cores. I don't think I require any assistance or oversight with it. It's simple, but potentially disastrous if things go wrong. In that event, 5e hands Whisker a data chip. Here is a backup copy of all of my data. Hopefully you can reinstall it in the chassis. Whisker takes it, looks it over, and holds it tight. Says, I hope not to use this. Very good. Thank you. I expect it will be a short process. You are welcome to monitor if you wish. And he turns around and walks toward the computer room on board the new ship, where he jacks into the main computer. And Whisker can tell that for a long period of time, NR5E has been partitioning parts of his data into two cells in his memory core. One is his core programming from the Anasite Collective makes him a caretaker robot. And the other half is all of the heuristic processes that he has developed as a war machine. He sorts the final pieces of data into the alpha and beta partitions of the core, and then executes a command to erase the alpha partition. The caretaker is no more. Only the war machine remains. In our 5e systems come back online one by one, lines of code running across his tactical HUD. The LEDs blink back to life on his faceplate, no longer a soft blue, but a bright burning red. And his first words upon reboot are tactical subroutines engaged. Target, the Cylon Empire. Projected scenario, total war. When life drains you down, charge up on the Emergency Power Network. 
Theme song Triangles by Diamond Ace. Find them at bandcamp.com. Music provided by Nicholas Judy of Dark Fantasy Studio at darkfantasystudio.com and Tabletop Audio. Find them at tabletopaudio.com as well as Carl Casey of White Bat Audio. Find them at whitebataudio.com. Font Azonics by Mixo. Find them on Twitter at MixoFX. The Starfinder role-playing game, including its official lore and images, are the intellectual property of Paizo Incorporated, all rights reserved. Narrated by Danny Lee Collins. I was informed by the Vice Admirable. Admirable. <laughs> I was informed <laughs> by the Vice Admirable. I did it again. <laughs> They are most He's admirable. Very admirable. That's also going in the credits. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you clear your mouth or your throat. You clear your throat. <laughs> you clear your mouth. <laughs> I mean, clearing, clearing your mouth is, is, is that a phrase? I know clearing your throat is something. No, it's but... not. Not even a little. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of outtakes for this one.